We the bestest cast with the left twist. Fat, barely well dressed. Put me on the guest list. The guest list. Uh, yeah, on the guest list. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another week of On the Guest List with Fox trying to get down White Sox, Dave, Kenny, Carkeet, and Dante. We have no Kenny in the building today. He's busy doing whatever the hell it is that he does. So we do have a replacement host in this week. Dear friend of the podcast, fucking Philly legend. We have Katie Feeney from You Do You in here. Katie, how are you today? What's up, fellas? How are we doing, boys? Good. I, dude, <laughs> I had been meaning to hit Katie back and being like, Katie, you should come on and co-host because she's a fucking character. And I was like, you know what? This is the week I want to do it. Katie, we're very happy to have you here today. Oh, I'm psyched, too. Thank you for inviting me, Colin. I'm Always a pleasure. I'm just glad Kenny's not here, to be completely honest. That's exactly what I was just about to say. You got the basically the like no shoes to fill. I was like, <laughs> no shoes at all. It's- Size zero. Goose egg. <laughs> oh my God. We got a packed week this week. We're going to get into what the interview is real quick. I just want to introduce Dave Williams. Dave, how are you today, buddy? Excellent. Uh, actually, dog shit. I'm having a bad <laughs> couple days. Um, Explain. I said this off camera earlier, I believe, but uh, car got sideswiped, hit and run. Don't know. I mean, it's going to cost me thousands to fix it if I want to do that. The dog has Giardia for the fourth time, Jesus. Four, if you're counting it every three months. Uh, so that, and then he got a shots today, like his rabies and all that. That was 350 bucks. Um, the White Sox are the biggest bunch of losers on the planet. I hate them. And other than that, like, that pretty much takes up my life. So, Yeah, Dave, I'm, way, I'm to, br- way to bring everything back down. I appreciate that. Just really- <laughs> I'm doing horrible. <laughs> I'm doing horribly. Uh, on the other note, someone who's always doing well, Dante, how are you, buddy? Good, man. It's just depressing here. It's been dark for two hours in Chicago. It's fucking miserable. I hate this time of year. It's the worst. Guys, can we be positive about something? <laughs> something good? You got G-Love coming up. We do have G-Love coming up. Before we get into that, it's funny Dante mentioned Chicago. This happens to finally be the week where the podcast is together in the great city of Chicago. We have Wish Fest on Friday. I will be performing with Box Shot. Dante will be DJing. And White Sox Dave makes his glorious debut to the stage. Coming oh, up. shit. Playing Wish Fest. Uh, gentlemen, we're going to talk about it at the end to give them all the love they deserve, but... I cannot fucking wait to be in the city. We have amazing interviews lined up. We have some that we didn't think we were going to be able to get that we did. I cannot wait. Dave, you were big on Wish Fest. Just explain to me the night. So, so <clears throat> the Wish and like back it up, Dave, because I don't know what this is. What's so we, Wish Fest? Which are family. This is how it goes. It's four brothers. The oldest brother, he died of brain cancer, I think in 2014 it was. They started a charity foundation for him, and they're a big Southside family. Uh, a couple of the brothers played football at Notre Dame. So everybody and everybody on the South side knows the Wisher family. And if you do know them, you knew, know what unbelievable people they are. Like I go out with Dan, who is the founder and um, sort of ipso facto CEO of the Wish Forever Foundation. And like when I get drunk, I'll be like, dude, please call me an asshole or something. Like you are too nice of an individual to be around a scumbag like me. So they're just like top to bottom, the best dudes you'll ever meet. And so they throw this, it's a charity event every winter last year, obviously we did not get to have it, but um, it's at a bar on the South side. It's called bourbon street holds about 3,500 people. And the entire South side comes out for it. Like you'll run into high school friends, college friends, you'll run into everybody, you know, and all a hundred percent of the ticket sales 
merch sales, food and alcohol sales. The entire event goes straight to families fundraising for or, uh, battling cancer. So after the event is up, uh, all the benefactors, they'll get checks for $5,000 plus, and they say, go do what you want for it. Like with it, you can go to Italy, you can pay off student loans, you can buy a car, you can do whatever you want for it, the money's yours. So it's, it's a great cause, but it's just an awesome time on top of it because it's all you can eat and drink. You get completely hammered, and the music, they have awesome acts to come out. They've had OAR in the past. OAR is coming back. Dispatch, uh, Third Eye Blind. Um, Andy, uh, two years ago, it was the last concert I had been to prior to everything shutting down. Andy Grammer, who's a friend of the program. Of the program. Uh, so they get, like, big, legit names, and it's my favorite night of the winter. It's everybody's having the time of their life because they know what they're there for. Um, but at the same time, it's like a celebration instead of, you know, it's, it's not like some sullen down atmosphere. Everybody's having a blast in the name of the good cause. So I love it. I have full endorsement for it. So there's only a, a couple hundred tickets left, I want to say. Um, so whoever's listening, if you're in the Chicagoland area, make it out. It's uh, 150 bucks, but that includes everything. It's, and the money's going to charity. You're going to get fucked up. You're going to eat awesome food. You're going to listen to awesome music for six, seven hours. So it's well worth it. It's well worth the money. I heard you're making your, your debut on stage. <laughs> Is that true? So over the last year or so, well, last two-ish months, I've been taking guitar lessons. Over two months? Last- it's been longer than that. How long have you been doing this podcast? No, I thought legit- you've been living legit- from someone who's not you. I see. Like, you passed the torch. I got you. Go ahead. Sorry. Like no, a- no, you're good. You're good. Um, I've been fucking around on a guitar, and I'm going to – Get drunk and just go go for it. That's my plan. Can you play an F chord? I can kind of sort of. Actually, <laughs> funny story. So we recorded the G Love interview like two hours ago. I had like an hour-ish window to eat and I was fucking around on the guitar. It was the first time since I picked up a guitar that I could play it somewhat seamlessly. Nice. Very nice. Congratulations. The Keep F it up. Biggest fucking cocksucker on the planet. <laughs> what is the F chord? The F chord. It's I impossible. agree. It stopped me. It's what stopped me. <laughs> what a boat of confidence for the band going out there being like, I wonder how Dave's going to do it. He's like, yo, for the first time, I kind of feel like I know what I'm doing. I can't wait, dude. This is going to be fucking <laughs> outstanding. Oh, he's playing with Foxtrot? endorsement of the fest, too. That it was really like, was, dude. Have you ever that been was... to Dante? What? Have you been to it? No, I'm pumped. Oh, I'm dude, you're good. It's, it. it's the fucking best time ever. It's the best time ever. And you've been, you've been telling me about it for like five years. I'm I'm glad I'm finally gone. And I'm yeah, pumped to play. You said today that I'm playing between sets. I'm actually like closing out. I'm playing. Okay, I, did, I figured it was between sets similar to uh, the smoke out in the summer. No, but, no, no. So it's going to be it's going to be a shit show. We're going to be like destroyed by oh, it. We're going to be hammered. Time everybody's going to be completely fucking wasted. Oh, my God. You're going to try to do your little pretty boy shit. No, I'm not. fucking hammered with us. I am getting hammered with you. Here's the game of beating cancer. So you have to. You're like Say less. Fucking Dave is going to be cradling me in his arms like a baby while Dante spins. And I I can't wait, dude. I really can't (laughs) wait. It's going to be an amazing, amazing weekend. We we have so much planned for this week coming up. Box Trot will be getting in on Thursday. We got a lot planned. We're going to get to that. But before we go any further, we have music news. We have on list, off list, what the fuck we've been listening to. Let's talk about today's interview. This is a special one for me, myself, and I. This is my fucking childhood hero. 
This is Garrett Dutton, a.k.a. G-Love from G-Love and Special Sauce, a hometown hero, Philadelphia's own, the person who inspired me to pick up a pen and paper and start writing songs. And I got to tell this motherfucker to his face, he is an all-time good dude. It's a great interview. It's an hour long. Buckle in, strap the fuck up for a great time. But there's some real gems in here of stories. And Dante asked about Woodstock 99, which is just an all-time fucking story. Do you guys remember Woodstock 99? Colin, you wouldn't. Yeah, I don't remember I it. I, I remember it, and I watched it with my dad on, like, a tube TV that weighed, like, 400 pounds. And <laughs> my dad was just laughing the entire time. And I was, I was nine, ten. I would have been nine years old, <clears throat> turning 10 that fall. And I remember, like, why is he laughing like this? He's like, this is the biggest disaster I've ever seen. <laughs> I, re- I remember watching it just to see tits. Like, there were tits everywhere. <laughs> And I mean, you couldn't you couldn't see shit like that anywhere back no, then. We were that old, so it was like you were just sitting there waiting. You had to go out of your way to see a pair. Of tits. Oh yeah, like, was- <laughs> that's exactly why Katie watched it too. Yo, Katie was like, I was watching it for the same reason. Yo, no, I was gonna say like I wanted to go, but I was in ninth grade. It's probably for the best because I probably would have gotten super. You would have right seen now. my boobs. You all would have seen them. <laughs> And that, then this would be weird. This would be weird because of that. Weird. Yeah. Dante's like, hey, Katie, I knew I recognize you. Yeah. Oh, oh, you got a mole on your left areola. <laughs> hey, girl, how you doing? Oh, that was me. There's so much in this interview. We talk about NFTs. I rap one of G Love's songs to him. We talk about kind of my early days as a musician, but we really go into G's journey. And he just dropped some great jewels about, you know, fucking for up and coming musicians, like, how to do things, never turn a show down. I'm giving things away and I got to stop. I think we just need to go right into this interview with Garrett yeah. Dutton, a.k.a. G-Love from G-Love and Special Sauce. Yeah! How you feeling? Yeah! You feel all right? All right, ladies and gentlemen, on the guest list today, I very rarely get starstruck. We've had a lot of stars on here, but I'm shook today. We have a man, he's a road warrior, he's a true original, he's a hometown hero, and a personal hero of mine. We have Garrett Dutton, a.k.a. G-Love, on the podcast. G, what's up, brother? What's up, fellas? All right, thank you. Oh, my God, dude. Uh, I'm just going to say this to start out. The last 10 minutes of this are just going to be me kind of telling my side of this whole thing and how much I love G and how much it means to me. But I want to start... You got your first Grammy nom last year. Let's give it up for G for a Grammy nom. Here we go. Thank you. Finally. (laughs) Finally. 25 years in, you get your first Grammy nom for the Juice. Amazing album. How did that feel to finally get that legitimacy after all this time? Yeah, man. It was – thanks thanks so much for having me, guys. Yeah, that that was – it was unbelievable um, this year to get that kind of recognition, especially during during the COVID times. It was was just funny because we we started doing – you know, house parties and backyard barbecues. We were calling them barbecues, and we started. We figured out we could do them safely, and and so we started doing them. And so we we drove with the family in the suburban, like, uh, you know, we put like sixty thousand miles on the rig and just did these social distance shows. So anyway, we we're down in Florida on a run, and uh, you know, like a lot changed during COVID, including like, you know. Instead of going to the hair salon, the barber shop to get a haircut, my wife started cutting my hair. <laughs> and so we're in the backyard. She's giving me a haircut. And then my um, my manager calls me and he goes, I think you got the Grammy nomination. I was like, no, dude, we're eligible for a Grammy nomination. No, he's like, I think you got a nomination. I'm like, what? I was like, 
I don't think you're right. He's like, I, I'll call you back. I got to check. And then my phone started blowing up. And I was like, holy shit. So we were sitting in the back of my parents' house. She gave me a haircut. And, you know, it was just like so funny because, you know, we it's just funny how life is. You know, we're, 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 we're just it's total mom and pops. And then we finally get that thing. And and um, so it was, it was just amazing. Of course, they didn't have the Grammy, so I couldn't walk the red carpet, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> of course, that's how it goes. You've been waiting all this time, then you get it, and it's in the Staples Center parking lot. They don't even fucking have the real Grammys. <laughs> that, that was the other funny part of it, because when they announced the winners, like, the ceremony was on a Zoom thing. So you had to, like, be in a Zoom thing and with all the other nominees, and then all of a sudden they announced the winner, and if you didn't win, they just – hang up on you <laughs> <laughs> like literally you're just, later like, bounced off. you're bounced off the, off the shit and then you can just watch but with that being said man we, we were just like it was amazing and, and just the nomination was a huge win win for us so you know it was it was cool we were, we were really grateful dude what a record by the way and like all the collaboration that went on in that record too you had a recent i just met this guy like last week you had robert randolph you had kev uh-huh. moe you had Marcus King. Like, you had a murderer's row of, of just people on this record. Like, was the plan originally to, like, go into the juice being, like, we're going to do a collaborative record here? Or was this just, like, a product of of talking to a bunch of people, being in the room with people? Like, how did the juice go down? Yeah, so it was an interesting record. because So the, the, the real story was, like, to reconnect with Kebmo, who um, he and I got signed in 1993 by Michael Kaplan to Epic Records. And so he and I and two other artists, um, Anders Osborne and Papa Chubby, yeah. and an act called Little Axe, um, we launched this old, or I should say re- revive this old imprint that Sony Columbia Records owned called OK Records, O-K-E-H. So, um, so I knew Kev like from then, and he was actually my age now, like I'm 49, so he was like a little bit younger than me when he got his Keb Mo deal. Um, so it's interesting. I was a kid, I was like 20. And um, so we, we did a bunch of stuff that first year. And then, you know, we kind of just went off into the stratosphere. We reconnected, I don't know, like now about like eight years ago, I did a tour. And then after that, um, you know, we kind of talked about doing something in the studio. And I, I saw, I hit him up. I was like, yo, you want to do a duet, a duet record? And he was like, yo, gee, I shot my duet wrote my duet <laughs> record. <laughs> Uh, Wad, I just did a, um, he's like, I just did the, uh, a, a Grammy Award Room record, Tajmo, the Taj Mahal and Kev Mo record. Amazing so, record. But he goes, but I'd love the chance to produce you. So why don't you come to Nashville? Um, so I did that. I went to Nashville for like five initial, like tryout thing for five days. And we wrote, you know, four tunes. And it was like, so basically that, so it was funny. So he goes, so it goes, all right, well, to start off, send me, send me your six most sincere tunes of your new tunes. And I was like, I thought that was like an interesting request. Like, okay, the six most sincere tunes. Well, I, you know, as a songwriter, you know, you guys know, like, you, you feel like that about all, you feel sincere about all your tunes, right? So I was like, all right, well, I, I sent him the six ones I was, you know, wanting to record. And so I didn't hear anything back. A week went by and another week went by. You know how it goes. All right, so now I text him. I go, hey, did you get the tracks? And he just writes back, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, All right, well, what did you think? And he goes, I think you need to come work with a songwriter. And I'm like, all right. 
Well, you know, man, like I work with songwriters all the time. So, all right, cool. So, you know, next thing you know, I was in Nashville working with this old timer, Gary Nicholson. And uh, so he and I just did a session the first day. We wrote this tune called Fix Your Face. And he'd be like, he talked like, oh, like I went to Quaker school in Philadelphia. And they would say things like, would you like whole wheat or white bread? He's like, gee, what would you? What do you want to write a song about, man? <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know. I got a million ideas. I just want to go fix your face. All you need is a little smile. He goes, oh, I like that one. I think Kim would really like that one. <laughs> so we, we did that one, and then we took it to Kevin the next day, and he shredded it, and we rebuilt it. And that, so the, and then and then the, la, the la, other story was, so we start working on the vocal. Right? So he goes, all right, so G, sing. Fix your face, baby. He goes, no, no, not like that. Like this. Fix your face, baby. <laughs> Fix your face, baby. And he goes, no, no, no. Like, so this went on for like till like two in the morning. And that vocal was like every word he was having me sing a million times. And then so we went to like two in the morning, which back in the day we used to go do studio sessions, you know, like all night long. But we stopped that shit a long time ago. Um <laughs> to have like more regular hours or whatever, you know, or just cause you didn't have a budget for like a lockout. And then I'm like in the studio at two in the morning with these two, like, you know, mid sick guys in their mid sixties. And I'm like, Holy shit, these fucking guys, man. <laughs> so then whatever, we finished the vocal that night and that ended up being a vocal on the track. And then Kev Mo said, well, how'd it go for you last night? I go, good. That was good. He goes, man, it went late, huh? I go, yeah, I go, yeah, I'm down to work. He goes, I was just fucking with you. I was just testing you. <laughs> ah, motherfucker. Oh, the, my God. The joke with Kev was that you could have Jimi Hendrix in there and be like, you know, excuse me while I can't think. Oh, Jimmy, hold on, hold on, hold on. And sing it like this, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> excuse me. Oh, my God. Just, That's great. The, the, the process of the Juice record was like a really long songwriting process that took place over like a couple of years until we had 10 songs that we felt real strong about and um at that point we had and all the tunes were already like working tracks so then we had like a final push like a two-week thing and he said oh well let's bring in some special guests you know so I, robert's a dear friend and like you know so we got robert and um actually i just talked to him on the phone right before calling you guys with this guy ron Ortiz the second oh he's the best yeah you know him yeah yeah he, he's unbelievable um kind of up and coming uh, Hawaiian blues artist and songwriter. And then, um, you know, Marcus King, we had been on the blues cruise and he's just like the sweetest guy. And I was like, fuck it, man, I'm trying to get Marcus King. And, you know, he's having a moment and he was like, yeah, cool. He came, he was like in Nashville moving. He's like, I got the day off cause I'm moving. I'll just jam out there for an hour. And he did. And then Roosevelt Collier, same thing came through and, and, uh, who else came through? Um, should I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I, but anyways, yeah, the special guests were like the icing on the cake. It was just like, let's, and, and I always feel like if you can bring as many like, you know, name brand musicians, and, and by that, I, I don't mean any kind of commercial thing. It's, I mean, people that are really doing something special and that have recognition, you know, so if you can, and also introduce people, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I like to do that. I like to bring young people that I really think are great and believe in, and then also connect with some of my friends. So, and, and whenever you, so yeah, my new record that we've made since then, it's called Philadelphia, Mississippi. And that also has a lot of collaboration.
Let's go. I feel like I need to be on that, and I don't want to like jump in here, but like I will be on that record whether you like it or not. Like, that's good. Right. <laughs> uh, but no, I, and two, like you brought up, like kind of like your affinity for bringing people forward too. I found a band. I saw you at the TLA in 2014, and okay. your opening band was called Swear and Shake. They did like a small uh-huh. run with you, and from that show, I found them. Fucking fell in love with them. Actually, wound up playing a couple shows with them. But I've always well, known you as someone to bring people forward. Yeah, man, that's, 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 I remember them. Um, yeah, I haven't kept up with them too much, but um, yeah, I mean, we we well, that's funny talking about openers too, like support. So, like that's another thing. Like we've been trying to kind of really curate, um, you know, just great. It, it, right, if you have a tour, you have an opportunity to give somebody a, a shot at getting in front of your crowd and um make it some new fans and so yeah we we try to and also just giving your fans and people a quality show i think people come to expect like great openers actually i literally i literally like i said just talked to ron uh just offered him to tour uh he has toured us before but i i feel I, i just love jamming with ron and um yeah so ron ortiz we'll we'll see so um that's awesome We've had a success helping people launch. I want to I want to ask. That's a really great point you brought up about you know giving others the stage to you know show what they got. Did anybody give you that opportunity when you guys were coming up? Well, that's funny you ask because um, I mean, kind of yes and no. Um, I mean, definitely not from the beginning. Like we kind of like. I kind of weaseled my way into the whole thing through um, sending demos to like music conferences, which they had back in the day, which like, cause back in the day it was like before like YouTube and internet and the really the independent movement and being able to like anybody make a record, you really, the game was, you had to really get signed. So, Mm. and it was fucked up because you couldn't get signed. Like you couldn't even send you, you couldn't send a demo to a record label unsolicited Mm -hmm. so that means you have to send it through an entertainment lawyer or an entertainment manager how do you get an entertainment lawyer if you're a street musician or just anybody you you know what i'm saying so they 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 made these these music conferences and the, the big one was a new music seminar and the college music journal in new york and then philadelphia started one called the philadelphia music convention conference and then there was one called the gavin convention in san francisco so these are like huge um you know almost like a south by southwest thing and south by southwest is like the only thing of that kind still around as far as i know right but we got found uh our producer at the philadelphia music conference and then we found our manager in a new music seminar and um and that was just on the strength of the demos and the live performance when we did get drop our record, we had a little buzz going. So we got the Violent Femmes tour in 94. Nice. So you um, opened up for them? Yeah. yeah that's then, awesome. And we did the Horde tour, which was great for us. That was Blues Travelers tour. Nice. Um, we didn't get the whole thing, but we got like five or 10 shows a couple summers in a row. And Dave Matthews threw us some shows. Sick. Joan Osborne, who was a big fan, who also got we were we met while we were both like 
trying to get a deal. Uh, she she gave us the if what if God was one of us tour. Uh, so yeah, the, I did get some help along the way. And then, but but you know, the, here's the thing: is that I never I never wanted to like open up. You know, like I, I so um, maybe when I look back, like I look back and I can see all the mistakes I made in my career. You know, and one of them was um, the Black Crows offered us a tour, and they were like, you know big fans and big supporters of what we're doing. And I was like, no, I don't want to fucking do that. <laughs> so like just during like, you know, their heyday, it, it just like, I was just a really hard headed kid and I didn't want to like open up for anybody. Cause that's that, by that time we, you know, we were selling out small clubs, just everything was sold out from like 1994 to like 2008, like pretty much like everything would always be sold out. Not like we were playing the spectrum or or, or like the like some yeah, but you know like the TLA size rooms, you know. You guys play Electric Factory. Yeah, yeah, you know we would sell that out. And, it's my spot. Yeah, I mean it's such a great room, you know. Hey, so I gotta I gotta ask you, you for some reason you skipped over one of the biggest shows ever. You played the main stage at Woodstock '99. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. dude, you got you got to give us you got to give us some info on that. Yeah, right. behind the scenes, it was the biggest shit show ever. <laughs> yeah, so so basically, like I hustled my way onto that shit. Like we met, and, and this is why I, I I've been saying it's called always take the gig, much to my manager and, and agents dismay, because like <laughs> almost one hundred percent of if you offer me a gig. Even if it's like shit money in a shit situation, I'll be like, yeah, I'll do it. You know, I, mean? I like to play. And my theory is that you never know, you know, what's going to happen mm-hmm. once you get on stage. You know, I mean, you could be in the shittiest place ever, but there could be someone in the crowd that could really change your career. You know what I'm saying? I not agree more. Or if you're single, there could be your wife. You know, I mean? Facts. The uh, famous saying is <laughs> luck equals preparation plus opportunity. That's right. And so, so I'm... I met, I think that we were playing this gig in Lucerne. I want to say in Lucerne, PA, in the Poconos. It was a shitty, like, roadside gig. And we played a gig, and I met this dude after his, you know, oh, you know, we, I live in New York, and I work with the, the promoters, and we're doing Woodstock 99. I, I was like, wow, you know, we really want to be on it, blah, blah, blah. And so anyhow, wouldn't you know it, like, some months go by, and we get we got the offer to, to do the Thursday night pre-fest which was still like a huge fucking festival on this site but they just had like one stage so we got that gig and then we finished that show and you're talking about what's like 99 it was like 150,000 people so so the pre-party was like you know 50,000 people you know what i'm saying <laughs> so we played that show and then afterwards i get my ma- my manager calls me or he's there and he says uh, you know, Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray has the flu. They canceled their main stage slot. They're offering it to you. No what? way. Yeah. So we were supposed to headline a small festival in Charleston, no, in Asheville, North Carolina, with Modesky, Martin, and Wood. And so we obviously we canceled that, and we stayed in Woodstock on the bus. And yeah, and then the next day it went James Brown. G Love and Special Sauce, and then Jameer Koy, and then, you know. What? 
Dude, that's so <laughs> that's sick. unbelievable. Do you have you ever like shot the shit with Mark McGrath? Like, yo, thanks for you know getting that flu bug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I have. But but see, Mark and I go like way back because um because like the first time I saw Sugar Ray, we were playing this festival in Belgium, and this is in like I guess you know like ninety five or ninety six, and I was like, wow, like I, you know, it might it was either before, I think it was before my show. I was just jamming around and I saw these guys and dude, they blew me away. Like they were really great. And uh, cause I know that like a lot of people might think, Oh, you know, bullshit pop or whatever. I mean, they, they were fucking rocking. Yeah. Such a great front man. And still is. Dude, people and, forget that the first sugar Ray record is like a fucking metal record. It's like legit uh, rock and roll. Right. That's what I'm saying. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, they were awesome. And I was like, wow, this fucking guy's insane. And then I looked, well, I was playing my show and he was watching me and I was like, oh shit, that's, that's so dope. Like, and we got a chance to talk after the show and he was like a big fan. And I was like, holy shit. But anyhow, so we didn't see each other for some years and then they blew up and it was like, wow, he's like a superstar. And then we, we, uh, next time we started our, our like name dropping central, but Donovan Franklin Ryder, my buddy would do these benefits and have all these great people on it. So one time we did it, and it was at the Four Seasons and fucking no, it was at the Coach House and, and uh, San Juan Capistrano, and then everyone was staying at the fucking Ritz or something. So I partied all night long with Mark McGrath and uh, Byron from the drummer from Pennywise, and Mark would just fuck with me because he'd be like, "What the fuck is wrong with you, G? Like we've been waiting for you, bro. Like you're the fucking king. Like you." You can't fucking put it together, man. Like you're scared. You're scared of success. And Byron's like this guy's guy. like, Yo, Mark, leave him, leave G alone, man. Leave, don't talk to G like that. Leave him alone. Mark would be like, You're a fucking pussy, G. He's like, You need to get your shit together. We're waiting for you. You know what I mean? So we he's always fucking, but he but he's cool, man. I'm just picturing Mark McGrath with yeah. frosted tips, like yelling at you, calling you a pussy. <laughs> Dude, I this is like such a weird, weird memory i have of mark mcgrath i was randomly watching it was celebrity jeopardy music and they had mark mcgrath and two other musicians i forget who this is decades ago and mark mcgrath literally literally lapped them to the point where he was answering every single question and it was just like they quit it was like it was a setup almost the guy's like an encyclopedia of music wow secret genius secret genius yeah, yeah. Secret but like it like Dude, he was the fucking shit, and I mean, I I, I love hearing those like kind of behind the behind the curtain stories about guys like that, you know? Yeah, Jeez. yeah, he's a great guy. And and then um, so back to Woodstock though. So just to answer your question, like, so when I one thing I did notice right was that it was hot as fuck. <laughs> there was no water. You know when you go to like a, a a festival now, there's like water stations, right? And there's free water, right? Mm-hmm. They were selling, you know, little water bottles for $10 a pop. Motherfuckers. <laughs> and, you know, this was in 99, and these kids didn't have any money, so no one's drinking water. And then it was just shit. It was just a shit show. <laughs> and, um, and then, man, yo, bro, when I think we had to kind of bounce because they wanted us out of there after we played, you know what I mean? The so crazy- did you get out of there before the craziness started? Yeah, no, we we were out, and um, but the long, after the long whole long story is that they put a um a, a you know a record out, 
and and they we they put our version of cold beverage on it and so and that record won't gold so i have you know i have the gold record from woodstock 99 in the wall <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> but is there any other show that like specifically stands out to you because you're a 300 day a year guy you've been a road warrior for years like not is there <laughs> oh no i know you're not done yet. well you just announced a whole tour in the summer with OAR and Dispatch and Robert Randolph, who are all friends of the podcast. We're with Mark Roberge uh, in Chicago on Friday. Oh, and, cool. Oh. And we've had Chad Stokes on the podcast as well. We're obviously not done. You've obviously got a whole leg plan plus a summer tour. But, like, thus far, has there been one gig that stood out to you to be like, that's probably the benchmark? Well, you know, it's funny, man, just because that you did bring up the Woodstock 99 show. Because, like, I, I do drop that a lot. Like, when you – like – Back to like those when we're doing those soul cues, um, this past year, like playing for you know 10 or 25 or 30 or 50 people in someone's backyard. I'm like, you know, motherfuckers might think that this is I'm just playing the backyard and I don't care, but I'm I'm thinking for me, this is like Woodstock 99, baby. One, two, three, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, that was a big one, and just um, uh, probably like a bunch of the festival hits over the years, like you know, like in Glastonbury in England and I don't know, man. Like, uh, I mean, there's just so many euphoric nights and um, so many big festivals. We, we really crushed that over the years. And well, one thing that comes back to mind is like playing that we got some great late night TV slots. We got Conan O'Brien on the first record where we played blues music Mm-hmm. And you can look that one up. That's a really cool performance. And that that one got us like it was cool because you could see like we played that the next week we sold like you know three thousand records or something. Yep. You know? And then the next year, the next release, we got invited to play Conan again. We played our single Kiss and Tell. Mm-hmm. And um that was the night that OJ was on the car chase. <laughs> what? Everything all the late night TV got pushed back to like, you know, one in the morning. Cause like, if you were, if you remember seeing that, you know, it was like on all the channel, every channel was just, which was not full cable at the time where it was like three, six and 10. (laughs) Um, It was just like, they'd show the car chase, which is just like all of the LA, you know, highway patrol following OJ's um, SUV. And then finally Eric Conan at like, you know, 11 or the one a.m. Oh my god, dude! And, so you did you see a spike in in like ticket sales and all that after after that show? No, because no one saw it. <laughs> well, I, well, I was gonna say you owe OJ a little, you know, pat on the back for allegedly killing Nicole. Yeah, no, no, I don't because he fucked my fucking late night performance. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but you're a part of history in that weird back roundabout way, which is That's just- like the weirdest day ever. That was like the, yeah. what there's a 30 for 30 on ESPN about it, and you guys should be added to it. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> like it was OJ's car chase. It was uh it was like the oh, that's all- earthquake in LA or something. And it was what? the NBA finals. The NBA it was like finals. a Knicks and somebody else in the NBA finals. Like right. It was it was like the craziest day ever. And uh-huh. G Long playing Conan. Like it's it's a, it's a mix of, of you should be on the 30 for 30. But I mean, so we've gone through live shows and and to me, like I want I want to get into the music side of things because like I said, I'm gonna go off of my tangent at the end to say why I love this so much, but to me, G, you were like a, the cross as a kid from Philly who grew up with his dad teaching him blues. And then I found hip hop when I was in grade school. 
You were the fucking perfect storm meeting of the two sides. Okay. Thank and you. For me, like what I want to know is kind of like who were I know you always talk about John Hammond is like your musical dad. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like who were your early influences from the rock, like from the blue side and the hip hop side? Yeah. So, um, well, you just mentioned John Hammond. So, so, so when I think back to like my whole experience really is like kind of like based on growing up in Philadelphia in the eighties and living downtown. And because, uh, so on the streets of Philly, like I grew up on second and pine, which is right by South street. So at an early age, I was exposed to all this culture, like, you know, from the punks and, you know, the gay community and the um, African-American community and Latino community and Irish community and the Polish community. And, um, you know, the kind of center city, like rich community. And, um, and there was always street performers. So I was seeing every type of people every day. And I was, seeing street performers around South Street, it was really vibrant. It was like, there was a puppeteer that had like handmade marionettes, like Jimi Hendrix, he had three, Jimi Hendrix, Elton John and Janis Joplin. And he would dance them to their songs. It was so cool. And then there was an old timer, this guy named Big Al. He had no teeth, this old Italian guy. He'd sit on an old milk crate on South Street, play the spoons and the harmonica. Yeah, so my dad would be like, yo, you know, go get a Big Al quarter. And then, you know, so, and then, um, and I was like a neighborhood kid. So, you know, you know, and then there's a give and take jugglers. So there's big jugglers. So you got to play Mozart on the wine glasses. Only and on then, South yeah. Street are you going to find this shit. Like this is South Street. What is the hub still is the hub of like street performers. We- like just the weirdest shit you're going to find. South Street is yeah. it. And then you had, then you had the beginning of hip hop and you lived in Philadelphia. So you had Power 99 FM, which is urban radio. And they had a Friday night, which was street beat with Lady B. Um, and that's the first time you heard like everybody, you know, Public Enemy and all the Philly guys like Schoolie D, Steady B, uh, and and DJ Tapmani, Cool C, Marvelous Marv, and then you also heard, you know, I I played in this, this basketball league at, at Old Pine on Fourth and Lombard, and uh, that was really cool because like like I said, like I grew up in Society Hill, it's like kind of like an affluent neighborhood in a city, yep. but you know, Philly is it's like. It's like blocks and it's all neighborhoods, especially then it, it, before it was kind of gentrified everywhere. It's like it was like the center city and you go south Philly as an Italian neighborhood and also the black neighborhood. And um, and like there's a society. If you look from the Delaware River, there's a society hill towers. Yep. There's three towers. And then like a mile south, there's the project, which looked exactly the same three huge towers except obviously they're the that's the project so anyhow the 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 community center old pond was really cool because like it was all the kids would come there you know so like um whatever like we were we were some of the few white kids are playing this basketball league so i remember my buddy came up to me and put the head and i have it in this this rap you know put these headphones on your ears I was converted, converted then. And then practiced it for years, rap music, like jazz, funk, yeah. R&B, blues, reggae, <laughs> rock and roll, then rock steady beat. Dude, act like I don't know what I'm talking about here. I'm a fanatic. Oh, you. So that's like the, my buddy put the headphones on. He was like, check this out. And it was the beastie was, hold it now, hold it now, hit it. <laughs> so I was like, damn, that's fresh. He's like, yo, they're white, just like you. And I was like, no, they're not. <laughs> you couldn't, you you know, there was there was not like, you know, hip hop was a cultural thing in a black community. And uh, so I grew up as a fan of that. 
And then I grew up also in Philadelphia, the Folk Song Society, the Philadelphia Folk Fest. They're bringing all these blues guys into town. So I was from a young age, started playing the guitar and into folk music. So I'd be in my room practicing, you know, Bob Dylan, the Beatles, and then later the blues. But then I'd be out like, you know, but then I'd be like put in license to ill or like paid in full. Yep. And like Friday night, sneak out with my now manager, Jason Brown. And we go, you know, get our crying on and fucking go, go bombing and go write graffiti. And like, that was a whole nother part of it. So we were living like a hip hop thing, but the musical side was always folk music. But then one night as a street musician, it kind of, I started rapping Eric B and rock him over my little guitar riff. And then I realized like, oh, that's the shit. So that's how I figured out my fucking amazing, man. It's that's unbelievable. Awesome story of how like your, your musical style fused together. I got one question for you. I want to bring it back to, so you, you said you like kind of, you try to, no pun intended, set the stage for up and coming young artists. Who do you got that we may or may not have heard of, you know, just guys that you love that, that haven't made it big yet, so to speak. Question, Dave. Well, you know, honestly, I've, I've really kind of been trying to tune in to um, some up and coming younger blues artists. Um, and, it, and it's interesting because I got an offer to go on this thing called the Legendary Rhythm and Blues Cruise, which was actually the first cruise franchise. And from that launched Jam Cruise and all the other cruises. But, um, I got invited to go on that like five years ago and I just finished one a couple of weeks ago. And I, and that was where I'm really connected with Marcus King and, uh, and, and realized, wow, there's this a whole younger generation of blues guys. Right. And then also there's got John Tavius Willis who Taj Mahal discovered who, um, his first record was Grammy nominated for traditional blues. And this guy like is a young guy, mid twenties, we become really close and he's he's just an awesome dude um you should look him up on, online like you know on instagram or whatever because when you hear him play it's just to me it's really cool like this is younger generation of you know southern like african-american uh men and women that are like i didn't realize it but it's a whole upsurge that people are carrying the torch and doing their own thing with it like people like uh, Chris Stone, Kingfish Ingram, and yes. there's a guy named Mr. Sip, and then John Tavius. There's a guy, um, Marquis, should I can't remember his last name. Uh, but there's like, you know, like just when you thought kind of blues was like over, yeah, it's like all this. And then like Ron Ortiz from Hawaii. And then, of course, Gary Clark Jr. having this huge success. And um, so I've been really interested. Isaiah Sharkey at all. Who's that? Isaiah Sharkey. Yeah, I gotta check that. I gotta check that out. He's uh yeah. he I shouldn't say touring, he's his own guy, but he he's basically John Mayer's right hand guitarist right now, but he does his own shit a lot. He's a Chicago okay. guy. Uh John Mayer, this would have been three years ago now. I was at a John Mayer concert at the United Center and uh John Mayer would just hands off the guitar, he would just sit and watch this guy. And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? He looks like Cisco with this hair <laughs> and everything. And I found out it's Isaiah Sharkey, blues musician from Chicago. He's like 30-ish years old, I want to say. He got yeah. discovered by D'Angelo. Yeah, he got discovered by D'Angelo. Who is uh, the guy, right? No, D'Angelo's from Vir Richmond, Virginia. Okay, oh, he's from Virginia. That's right. Um, but he's fucking outstanding. <laughs> Check him out as soon as you're done. You'll fall in love with him immediately. 
Yeah, Sharky's a monster. He's a monster. Gee, j- just to like kind of like round this out in a way before I get into my end speech or whatever. On the hip hop side, is there anything in the modern like era that you're like gravitating towards? Because hip hop is evolving so quickly. Like, is there anything like the futures and the young thugs of the world that you're like, that's my shit? Like, I didn't know if you dove into that side of things yet. On the hip hop side, yeah, yeah. Like this sound might sound kind of corny, but like the most of the new hip hop I hear is from the Peloton. <laughs> <laughs> you got to join Dave's gang. Dave, Dave has a gang. Buns Man, and no, my gang. Yeah, oh, is. okay, Dante's gang. Excuse me. It is. Gee, you're, gee, you're a Peloton guy? Yeah, I am. Yeah. Love it. What's your – hold on. Do you, do you want the public to know your username, or do you want to tell me <laughs> off camera? Billy G. Love. Billy G. Love. Billy G. Love? <laughs> oh, you're going to follow you right now. Hashtag Yo. you guys. <laughs> I love it. We, we're, <laughs> I got it right there, boys. Let's oh, go. We gotta, we gotta get you in the uh, buns oh, of anarchy guys, gang. I thought you guys looked so fit. <laughs> Not me. I Gee, we got a gang called know. Buns of Anarchy. We gotta get you in it. But was it Buns of Anarchy? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, oh! Last thing before we get into our, our final little segment. All right. So obviously, I am from Northeast Philadelphia. Dante's got the Patriots hat on. I know that you're a Boston and a Philly guy. I'm putting you on the spot. You got to pick one city. Go. <laughs> Philly. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Let me just say this, though. I I will say that Boston showed me so much love. Like, I actually played Tom Brady's, like, kind of right-hand man's wedding. So I've gotten to hang with Tom a lot, and uh, i gotten to hang with Julian Edelman, like uh, all the guys, like Teddy Bruschi and Dante Stallworth, who was both a Patriot and an Eagle. Uh, We got a really good hang one time, and – and I've gotten to go to like the games, and I'm bragging. I got to yeah. go to Foxborough like t- at least twice, and sit in Tom Brady's booth, like sat next to, his, sat with his parents. That's <laughs> and awesome. The fucking Celtics games, and sit on the floor, and I get to do shit for any for any <laughs> Philly guys, man. You like, shot the I-76 video at a halftime of a Sixers game. Yeah, that's right. We did that. But I, that being said, though, since I left Philly. <laughs> I've been invited to come back and like ring the bell, which I haven't got to do yet, which I I, I would definitely want to do. But long story short is I could I, I was you know I'm you know like I'm a Tom Brady fan, Patriots fan, but I, no, I don't really like feel it. You know I could watch a Celtics game, but I don't feel it. Like if I'm I don't feel the shit unless I'm watching my teams, man. You know the Phillies. The, Flyers, and especially the Eagles and the Sixers. That's my shit. The minute I heard you say water. Three times I was like, "Yeah, this guy's this guy's more Philly than fucking anybody." His his name on Instagram is Philly G Love. His fucking tag, it's yo, and that is why I love you because. All right, I'm going into it now. I'm gonna go into my thing now. I'm holding this right here. You see this right here? It's a harmonica. All right, let's hear it. I will at the end, gladly. <laughs> I haven't picked one up in a while, but there are very few people where we're from who wear the Philly name with such pride. Like, growing up, we have a lot of the Philly sound, you know what I mean? But, like, to have somebody when we're coming up be at Philly G-Love meant something to me as a kid. And there was a moment, I don't know, like, 2011, I was a freshman in college, and Fixing to Die came out. And this is right when I started writing music. And I was so confused because I was doing reggae, I was doing 80 different fucking things, and Fixing to Die came out, and it was this moment in my own head where I was like, holy shit, 
you can just make what you want to make. That's what that record meant to me. Shouts out to Ava Brothers. And from then on, I think the first two years of me making music, I just tried to make G-Love songs. Like, I wore a harmonica on a rack. I think our first show, we covered Cold Beverages and Just Fine. Like, the first, like, couple years was just that. And I don't know how to say this without sounding like a fucking weirdo, but I can't thank you for everything you've done for me. And uh, you're a very large reason why I made music and why Foxtrot exists today. And I just always wanted to say that to you and I never had the chance. So <laughs> thank you. That, thank that, you G uh, for everything. Uh, I, I don't know, man. Like that's my cousin gave me a fucking rack of CDs when I was a little kid. My cousin, Jamie is like 10 years older than me and it had self-titled. Yeah. It's that easy Philadelphonic. And then the first one I bought my own money was lemonade and it just shaped the uh, way I looked at things for the rest of cool. my adult life. So fucking Thank you for everything. Bro, that means a lot, man. Um, it, re- it really does. Because it's, it's been always part of my mission to, like, you know, kind of just inspire people and enable people and lift people up on the musical side to play music. And Because and, I always felt like, look, if I can make it, anybody can make it. So when I see people, like, coming up, I'm like, you you know, Anybody, man, you, you know, like that, that's it. So, that, so thanks for listening. And I, I appreciate that. They're really good. Dante, what was that? Hold on, Dave, what'd you say? Said he's left, he's left an indelible mark on music. Like I, I've loved your shit for my, my first album that I ever had. My sister gave it to me was Sublime, it's a self-titled album. And that's what opened up my eyes to the world of reggae rock and then I discovered you probably late nineties, I would say when I was 10, 12 years old. Uh-huh. And it's, it's like having it come full circle. Cause like you're one of the guys like with sublime and, and dispatch and, and bands like that, that it's like, okay, today we're listening to G love, G love and okay. sauce and Thanks. having it like the chance to interview. It's, it's, it's really cool not to, blow you too much that was my point i didn't want to be fucking yeah, like yeah. i didn't want to like just be slobbering all over this but i i can't help it like this i is do a, wish kenny were here to rein us in a little bit i though. know kenny is uh our other co-host he uh is a founding member of the band awol nation they had that big song sale and kenny uh, would have told us all to shut up about 10 minutes ago kenny would have told us to shut the fuck up but. i got one last question so a lot of our audience is obviously music fans but we also have a lot of aspiring musicians that listen to us and if you could give one piece of advice to aspiring musicians that are, you know, struggling, trying to break through and stay confident, what would it, what would it be? Like I kind of touched on earlier, just to always take the gig. And I think it's like, you know, ooh, th- these days it's like you have so much opportunity, but it's also harder than ever to get something going because uh, there's so much noise. So you just have to, my thing is always like, you have to just hustle and you have to, you know, make your music from the heart, but you also have to find a balance between the business side of, the, of what you're doing. Right. And the creative side of what you're doing. And cause that's a hard thing to, for a lot of people, including myself to kind of balance. Um, and um, yeah, so just hustle. And, and I think it's just like, now it's like you gotta and even every time then and now it's like all diy like you gotta figure it out like but you can't just wait you can't wait and say like well i want this to happen before i try to do that you know you gotta just keep hammering like all sides and don't wait for anybody you know like and don't tell anybody let don't let anybody tell you that you know 
your shit sucks because if, if you believe in it then just keep on believing it because like even to this day like I, I have to fight you know to get my shit out there like i got people saying oh you know this this or that sucks and i'm really believing it and i'll push it forward and um so yeah you you know you just gotta you gotta work but you, but you have to have that you have to find that real creative voice and you have to, to hone it and you have to shed but you also have to like um so that's a creative side but then you also have to like fucking hammer the business side so it's it's always that always take the gig stay on the hustle yeah I love yeah <laughs> yo you're ha- you're hammering a new business side uh can you talk to us like we're fucking three years old and explain to us what N- nfts are thank you yeah i, I was like Damn, I yeah so so yeah so like um everybody's hearing about you know cryptocurrency and um now nfts have really kind of taken a spotlight um so we dropped an nft called juice gang if you want to find more about it go to nft philadelphonic.com but basically nfts i would when i'm explaining them to like a beginner it, it's like what did you collect you collect comic books as a kid trading you know baseball cards whatever art as an adult whatever like nfts are collectibles right so whether it's the michael a clip of michael jordan making a famous dunk or a time magazine cover or an nft of a piece of artwork that you love or an NFT of an album or a song or just a little fucking cute little furry drawing of a little stuffed animal or some shit. It's all collectibles, right? So the long, long and short of it is that you're buying this to collect it to either put on a screen to hang on your wall or to buy it and sell it or to buy it and hold it and hope that it grows in, in, in value, right? So um, there's if, if you're interested about it, you can go to that, what I said, nft.philadelphonic.com and go to the facts section and there's, show you how to buy an NFT or buy my NFT. Or, um, but long story short, you got to open a Coinbase account or some other kind of crypto trading account, fund it, right? Put some money from your bank account or your credit card, buy some Ethereum, which is a cryptocurrency, and then you can use your Ethereum to purchase NFTs, which... People are making millions of dollars off of NFTs. Millions of dollars, dude. And I feel like... Spe- All right, let me ask you this. You are aware of the actor John Cusack, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. But, well, but hold on, hold on. Did you... Are you aware that he... His little sister Susie Cusack and I dated briefly in the mid-90s? <laughs> I'm not aware of that. That would have been a month ago because this guy I know may or may not have drunkenly accosted him at a White Sox game. It was Dave. Dave was the one who fought John Cusack at a White Sox game. What? Really? Like a month and a half ago, but um, it was in the it, New York Post. No big deal. Was, you fought John Cusack verbally, verbally, verbally. Why? Because he's a pink hat and like wears Chicago on his sleeves, but only when it's like the good times, not the bad times, and I don't like that. But um, <laughs> so I, I gave him my two cents. But people were reaching out to me saying I should turn it into an NFT and that I'd make a lot of money on it. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck that is, but. I'll look at it, and I never did. Uh, do you have a clip of it? Yeah, I got it all on video. There's a whole video of it. It went pretty viral. <laughs> it's only got like 10 million views. <laughs> Are you serious? No way. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, so, um, I don't know how that would work because, well, I guess you shot it, so you own the master. So, hey, you should try and drop it as an NFT because you could, at the very least, get sued by John Cusack, which would be more um, publicity. <laughs> 
exactly. Dave, I will Venmo you $100 right now if you give me the <laughs> NFT to John Cusack fighting you. You can, honestly, you can have it. And if you do all the work to like get it out there, we'll split it. How's that? Well, I mean, I haven't think, okay, fine. But I'm just saying like, that fits in, in my um, lane. But, um, but I, th- there's a, there's, there's a bunch of ways to put out that anybody just can put an NFT out. Like actually before we, we found like a platform to really do a real NFT release, you can go on this site. One of them is called Rarible. Um, and you know, you could kind of figure it out. I actually dropped the NFT on Rarible. There's one out there that never sold. Um, but, um, yeah, but yeah, we, we, our NFTs, um, you know, we, we, we did a launch and it was a complete failure except <laughs> for not because we sold, like we were trying to sell 10,000, right. For 0.05 Ethereum each, which is about a hundred at that day, it was like 150, $200 a pop. And we sold 200 over 200 of them. So that was ended up being like over 10 Ethereum, which, you know, is worth, that's like over $40,000. So it could have made millions, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. so we're, we're, but, but we have a, our foot in the door and I'm, I'm all, everybody's it's the wild west, right? Yeah. So you're either at this point engaging in cryptocurrency or you're not. And if you are, there's a, you have the opportunity right now to participate into what I'm calling the great financial equalizer of our times. Now, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, actually Scott, this guy, Scotty Melker, who was, is a, he's a Florida guy, but he, he went to U, U, U of Penn. He was actually the first intern at Philadelphonic. Check him out. He's at Scotty Melker, M-E-L-K-E-R. He's, the, he's an unbelievable DJ, right? Well, he was, he was a big DJ in Philly, but yeah. now he's fucking Dan Rather of cryptocurrency. And he's. Oh, is that what he's doing now? Yeah, and no check off of all streets. He's got like you know seven hundred thousand followers on, on um, on Twitter, and his newsletter has like thirty two thousand subscribers, which everybody pays fifteen dollars a month. You can go do the math what he makes a month off that shit. Jesus Christ. And on top of that, like you tune into what he's doing, he, he'll help you like make some money. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an exciting space, and I'm 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 really into it. actually. Last thing I say about it is um, Chris D, who is my producer, my partner in our Philadelphonic studio, and my road manager for many, many years. At the beginning of COVID, he invested a small amount of into crypto, and he's now retired. He's not coming back on the road. <laughs> Good for him, dude. Yeah. I just put a couple bucks into uh, um, the fucking big one. What's the big one? Bitcoin. 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 I put a thousand bucks in like three days ago for the first time. I mean, oh. bucks Listen, dude, I came up on about a hundred dollars off Dogecoin. Come see me about this cryptocurrency I made, shit. Bro. I made, I put 50 bucks in when it was like 0.0001. And my buddy's yeah. like, do this. And if it gets to $1, you make 10 grand. The day yeah. it went crazy. I sold it at like 33 and I made 2,500 bucks. If I would have waited like four hours, I would have made 7,500 bucks to sell it. Bro. There you go. You're engaging, and, and that's just what I'm saying. Because there'd be more opportunities like that, and uh, it's pretty. It's it's just exciting to me, man. You know, it's not every you day know? you get to talk to one of your heroes, and then he gives you financial advice. This is a great <laughs> fucking day for me. God damn it! Hold now, man. <laughs> Gee, you are fucking the way you view John Hammond is the way I view you, dude. Like a musical father, and I can't thank you enough, bro. 
This has been fucking incredible. I want to at some point get Foxtrot to do a show with you. I would love to do something in the city, something like that. I don't know. Just to share a stage. That's my goal. I'll whip out the harmonica for the first time in five years. We'll battle. I don't care. Let's do it. We'll jam. We'll jam, man. We'll do some hip-hop harper. Hey, never turned down a gig, right? Now you're, never, you're obligated to it. Yeah, that's a that's a fine, that's a fucking verbal contract, goddammit. Okay. Uh, everybody, please go check out all of G's catalog. Uh, it's dense. It's, it's, it's the best catalog. Ever. It's the fucking best catalog. It really is. I don't know why it's this whole time I've, I've been wanting to wrap the recipe to you this whole time in my head. I've just been wrapping the recipe in my head. Uh, this is a fucking awesome moment for me. I'm really excited. I don't want to make it about myself, but gee, we cannot thank you enough. Go check him out on the road. Go see him with OAR and Dispatch and Robert Randolph. Go see him on the solo tour with the new pro. It's the new project, right? G Love and the Juice. That's right. Yeah. Go check it out. Also, one more, one more self promotion. So we just dropped our second Christmas record, yes. which is called Back Home for Christmas, which is now on all platforms where you can order the vinyl at philadelphonic.com. You want to get in touch with me at Philly G Love on Instagram, at G Love on Twitter, G Love is best also on Facebook. You want to get to NFT, nft.philadelphonic.com. And yo, Colin, Dave, and Dante, man, thank you guys so much for having me, man. For- G Love, yeah, it's, it's an honor, man. A pleasure, dude. Everybody go check out everything G has going on. G, we'll talk to you soon, all right? Thank all right, fellas. So happy holidays. We'll see you soon, man. You too, G. Hell yeah, dude. G, thank you for taking the time, brother. Appreciate you guys, man. Hell yeah, man. Uh, we'll tag you on everything on Instagram. I'll send some social stuff over to your manager, and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon, brother. Okay, guys. Thanks so much. Have a good one, man. You too, man. Thank you. Hey, peace. All right, so that was our interview with our new friend, G Love. Go check out his new uh, Christmas record. Go check out The Juice, which just got nominated for a Grammy last year. Go stream his whole catalog. Look up the NFT. See him on tour. All things G-Love you need to go check out. Absolutely great time. We do need to get Mark McGrath on the podcast after that. I want I want a showdown between G-Love and Mark McGrath. That's, That's what exactly I, what I was going to say. When the interview ended, like how I would ideally on in like a heavenly interview with Mark McGrath, make it like a Mari episode or like Gary Springer, where it's like, hey, like, all right, let's talk a bit. <laughs> Come on, give me, give me, tell me where the bodies are buried with Gary or G-Love. And I just want him to start talking shit and be like, oh, well, guess what? And have him behind like clink. Yeah. <laughs> He's in the waiting room. We just bring him right in. They just confront each other. Yeah. I love that. Like the end of Austin Powers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, that would be great. I really just like can't believe that interview happened. I'm so goddamn excited. That dude, he's one of the first fucking musicians I fell in love with. Like really, really fell in love with. It was like Sublime led me to him and Dispatch. And like I've, I've loved his music for legit 20 years 20 maybe even a few 22 years i mean dude he just wears the city on his on his fucking chest he wears it on his instagram handle and on it on his peloton handle i don't yeah <laughs> i'm gonna actually add him i haven't touched a peloton in like five days um and that <laughs> reflects in how puppy i am but um the dati do you think there's anybody in chicago like that like that i mean obviously kanye and, and chance and any vetter a kind of but I, mean, I, I never like fell in love with Pearl Jam or Eddie Vedder. Like you also think of Seattle before you think of Chicago when you think of Pearl Jam. Very, yeah. very good point. That too. Um, I think I'm, it was like before our time. So like, 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Cheap Trick was like every fucking Chicago one from the seventies, like Dude, favorite band. And Sticks, yeah, Cheap Trick and Sticks. Uh, well, Colin just opened up for Cheap Trick. I mean, they're technically okay. Rockford, which is like ninety miles, but close enough. Yeah. Um, I love Cheap Trick. Me too. They were great guys too. Will, Wilco is fucking badass. Wilco, they're our, yes. they're our generation. Shouts out Jeff Tweedy. <laughs> yeah. I would also say Chicago themselves. I mean, I'm fucking, yeah. I'm not old I was going to throw that in there. I was like, I'm, I'm, like the big, I'm like the biggest Peter Cetera fan fucking ever. Dude, my, uh, my in-laws just saw Chicago in Philly like a couple weeks ago. And they said it was so weird. There was no opening act. Like people were still parking their cars. And like the venue was like the big amphitheater was like, 80% empty and Chicago just fucking started. Like That's they were literally weird. like like scanning their tickets and they were like two songs in. They're like, is that fucking usually that they play with uh Earth, Wind, and Fire? They've been on the road with them for like four or five years. What a I show. That. What a show. God damn. But I mean, uh, dude, just all thanks to Garrett. Thank you for coming on, dude. We like I said, we do have some huge interviews coming up that I'm really excited about, but that was just one to check off the list. And we're gonna be doing more with G. Hopefully, we were just talking off air about some stuff, but we have some stuff brewing. Go see him this summer on tour with our friends OAR, Dispatch, and Robert Randolph. Gonna be amazing. But uh let, let let's go into music news for the week. Uh once again, holiday weeks, I always say this, they're slower for releases. Really wasn't much that happened. Uh Rod Wave dropped a new song, The Lumineers had just dropped a new EP. Dion Warwick and Chance the Rapper came out with a new song, which is random as fuck, but I love it. Dion uh, Warwick's Twitter saved my life last Dionne year. Dion Warwick's Twitter is amazing. She's just <laughs> asking questions about life. I love it. There's a certain point I my Twitter just became retweeting of Dion, Dion Warwick. Warwick. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so other than that, um, there were two big stories this week. We'll go with the sullen one first. Uh, Virgil Abloh, uh, Chicago Zone. Uh, who was the creative director now of Louis Vuitton, but started Off-White and Pyrex Vision. He had a huge place in hip-hop history, created a lot of the great album art of the last, like, 10 years. Uh, all the fashion, the shoes, everything. Virgil had his hands in everything. Passed away tragically at 41 from cancer. Dante, you wrote an amazing blog that I read on Barstool about Virgil. Uh, just kind of give me your thoughts on it and, and what you kind of unearthed through your, your research. Um, I mean... <laughs> For somebody that like attempts to have a lot of um, irons in the fire, like myself, when you look at somebody like him, it's just so fucking, you feel like such a shit bag. I mean, this guy did literally fucking everything. And I knew him coming up because he ran this boutique that's super popular in Bucktown here in Chicago called RSVP. And that's kind of what, springboarded him into the whole fashion game uh i mean they're like they're one of those stores that you walk in and there's like two racks with like 10 shirts on them and yep. they're all 300 and <laughs> two sizes each and that's what they have and fucking all like custom you know sneakers just crazy shit he was so far ahead of the game on everything you know these you know these bears that are everywhere like the the cause bears yeah. yeah yeah dude they had that shit like 10 years ago in this place like so i mean he, i just i wrote he was this visionary he was so far ahead of the curve and it's just crazy when you think this guy that his parents came here from ghana grew up 
with nothing in Rockford, Illinois, which is not a fucking great place. Shithole. And he rose to a point. He rose to a point where one of the biggest companies, never mind fashion brands, companies in the world entrusted him with their brand. And arguably the biggest artist in the world entrusted him with his brand. I mean, it's just, it's just fucking crazy. It's such a shame that he passed away. It's one of those things like he accomplished so much, but it still feels like he was just getting started. So, and he was a great guy. He was fucking awesome guy. He threw a party here in Chicago for like 10 years called super fun. It was, you know, just fucking laid back. Anything goes, anybody could go there, wear whatever. You'd hear every genre of music. No one took themselves seriously. Fucking like Pharrell would roll by there like randomly when he was there. Yeah, I mean, he was just, he was fucking everybody, man. He knew everybody. Bro, I mean, for for a, a black man from America, from immigrant parents to be running Louis Vuitton, <laughs> like people don't realize how fucking amazing that is. Like to infiltrate the biggest fashion house in the world being a guy who worked in streetwear at that young age is like groundbreaking. And people are going to look back on Virgil in like 20 years as like the Andy Warhol of this generation is the guy who curated what we all wear and dress and look like and talk about like Virgil was behind the scenes for a while, got jettisoned to the front page and lived enough life of 41 years than most people will ever live in their entire lives. So I don't know. Like I, I was really funny. Like I was, this is kind of a back, like I was bartending and someone at the bar said, oh shit, Virgil Abloh died. And I was like, did you just say Virgil Abloh died? Like I interjected in the conversation. I was like, are you serious right now? Like he was like, yeah, do you know who that is? And I was like, do I know who that is? I was like, he's Kanye's right hand man. He, he made album covers for everybody's fucking creative director of Louis Vuitton. Shouts out to Virgil, rest in peace. The things that I know this shouldn't upset me. I know they edited it this way. I know that they did this on purpose. As a woman, I don't want to knock Yoko, but like, just they really made it look like she's just sitting there knitting through songwriting sessions and like <laughs> won't leave. I'm sure she's just supporting her man. You know what I mean? Like, who's going through a heroin hang up? But like, that was also sad too. Cause I'm like, oh, like people are going to watch this and like blame Yoko Ono for just like sitting in that room. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't know, no girlfriends at band practice. That's usually my rule. But <laughs> everybody, everybody was unhappy. As- Pointed, yeah tell. they're all unhappy and like you know the moment where paul freaks out in the first episode is just like i feel like i'm the only one who cares about this i'm like i've done that so many times <laughs> like in my actual band practices like i was like pointing out who's who in my band compared to like the beatles thing but yeah so i'm only like one episode in it's like it's enthralling yes um i stayed up till 2 a.m on thanksgiving watching it my family all went to bed and i was just like i can't we have to watch at least we have to finish this one because like i can't it Stop really watching. is it's yo, incredible. You, you said a great term that was kind of my thoughts on it too. I don't know if you're not a musician or invested in it, if you're going to like really understand what's going on, because it's like what you're watching really is a writing session. That's generally it's what incredible. This is. Yeah. Like for me watching George Harrison, trying to walk, like trying to walk John Lennon through the original idea for something, something in the way. Yeah. Which is the like, greatest fucking song ever. Like, and he's just fumbling his way through the song with no lyrics. And you're like, you know how this turns out. But like, yeah, that's what it, you get chills on your arm. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh my God, like this becomes Abbey Road. Like, what the fuck? This is so crazy. And we get to sit. And what I heard is that that footage is only 15% of the total footage that they have from those rehearsals. Yeah, and things. So, so 
uh, Peter, what the fuck's his name? Jackson. Peter, Peter Jackson. Jackson. Okay. Uh, Peter, what's his name? <laughs> I couldn't think of his last name. No, I just uh, meant <laughs> They announced this last year and they announced like six months ago they were going to release it on Thanksgiving. And I've been following it along and they uncovered. I want to say it was like 130 hours of home video footage. Some fucking guy who's either Australia or New Zealand had it. And how much Peter Jackson's production company? Dude, yeah, how I much don't do you know. Think he paid Peter, for it. We talked about this too. Peter I'm Jackson's dying to know. Production company got their they got their hands on it, and he had he said that he went through it all by himself, just for fucking days and days and days and was watching everything. And he said what you just said, Katie, he was like, I don't know how to whittle this down into, uh, you know, a documentary that doesn't take a hundred hours to watch. But he, he said that the big story when this dropped was that it actually changes the narrative on how the Beatles broke up and everyone thinks that they hated each other. And it's actually the opposite. He said that when you're done watching this, you'll realize that Paul and John were never closer. Um, It was just kind of one of those things where they just like outgrew each other and went their separate ways. Bro, you you watch it, right? And you, you forget for a second that like, this is the most historically significant band to ever exist in humanity. Like you're literally watching. It's just four random British guys cursing and smoking and high on heroin, just writing songs, but everything surrounding it, dude, this is like the fucking Beatles. Like, you know what I mean? Like first, my biggest question is how has this footage never been out there before? Like it's, it's wild to think. Well, that's, about. that's what we talked about. Is that like someone had to do it similar to like the summer of soul footage, right? Yes. The Love documentary, like the footage existed. Someone owned it. They sat on it for a while. They probably tried to sell it to different people until they got like the right price for it. That's a, I went through all this with my family. I was like, here's what I think happened. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they went to HBO Max. They went to Netflix. You know what I mean? Like they went to this director that, you know, it's like who has the time and the patience to actually do the story justice. And so far, I do think that it, I think it's, it, they did a really good job. I'm excited if there's more footage, if they'll do more, I'll watch it. But like, I'll watch man, it's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, more than anything, Dave, I'm excited for you to watch it because you will have that third. Minimal spoilers, Dave. Sorry about that, exactly. cowboy. I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> if you don't know at least the baseline of the Beatles history, then there shouldn't be spoilers. No, yeah. Okay. Right. I mean, I'm like, I, I, it's piqued my interest enough, enough through you guys that I'm going to start it immediately the second we hang up. The, the thing for me is, too, like, I'm excited to like get through it, watch the whole thing, digest it, and then have a larger conversation. And we have a friend, Robbie Fox, who's a Beatles fanatic, who we're going to have to come, come on and sift through all this and go part by part. But, I mean, just to watch the disillusion of the, the, the biggest, most historically significant band of all time is enthralling enough as it is. But for Peter Jackson to put this together, I'm just glad it wasn't Ken Burns and it's not a 40-hour documentary. <laughs> I need it in, like, digestible pieces. You know what I mean? I'm an idiot. I need to, I need to have it in a digestible piece. But So do, do you guys remember a few weeks back, it was uh, Greenworm Picks or something. We had an episode we were talking about uh, band, like, not overrated bands necessarily, bands you just don't really give a shit about. And you I said, said the Beatles. So I'm learning Day Tripper on the guitar right now. Oh, okay. And... Recently, I've been going out of my way to listen to the Beatles. Yeah, and there I've you never go. Really never really done that. I'm like, still, I've, still. I've always liked the Beatles. I understand their significance and their importance in not just music history, but history in general. Um, and 
they just weren't always totally for me, which is not saying they're bad, like I said, but I, I'm thoroughly enjoying listening to a lot more Beatles recently. I'm Good a Stone Stone always, but Dave, that's fucking very well said. Uh, I, and I actually kind of agree with that. I didn't grow up a Beatles guy. I got into it later when I was in high school and college. What did dad say? What's, my dad said Beatles, the Beatles were for pussies. That's what my dad always told me. When uh, I was a kid. <laughs> yes. Shout out John Budney. My dad was a Stones guy, and that's like he, he didn't like Zeppelin because he was a Stones guy, and him and I still to this day argue like between I'm Zeppelin through and through. I love the Stones, but Zeppelin is my band. I mean, and Zeppelin. Like to this day, I'll argue with him about Stones or Zeppelin, and we all, him and I are both in agreement, similar to your dad. Yeah. God, Beatles, fuck them. Like, they're for pussies. Uh, we were a Beatles house, for I sure. Knew you were, I knew you yeah. were a Beatles kid. I knew that. For sure. Yeah. I mean, like, I had nightmares as a kid because my dad, uh, like, thought that uh, Yellow Submarine was, like, a kid's movie. That's <laughs> not it's scary. Dude, was, <laughs> interview, I thought it was hilarious. He said that he turned down Torn with the Black Crows, and or not speaking of Beatles, speaking of Zeppelin, and Jimmy Page was torn with them forever. I, I, and I was like, is so Beatles not good enough, but a fucking <laughs> I mean, member of maybe the biggest rock band ever is good <laughs> enough to tour with them. So, yeah, that's a fuck up. Shout out, Garrett. Shout out, Garrett. Uh, let's go into on the list, off the list. Uh, I'll start out, then Dante, then Katie, then Dave. Uh, my on the list. It is coming out of Thanksgiving week. Uh, Thanksgiving as a very specific significance for me, alcohol-wise, it's the beginning of white Russian season. And I know people <laughs> think this is fucking gross, whether you hate them or you love them. I walk into my, my mother-in-law's house on Thanksgiving, and she looks at me, and I look at her, and she goes, white Russian? I go, white Russian. So we dive right <laughs> the fuck in. White Russians are only acceptable from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Other than that, they're gross. Uh, I'm a fucking I, just, <laughs> I think they're a good summer drink. It's milk, Dave. Summer drink. (laughs) (laughs) But it's refreshing. It's cold. It's in the cool little brass copper whatever cup. No, you're thinking, are you thinking of white Russians or are you thinking Moscow Mule? I was thinking of a Moscow Mule. (laughs) (laughs) A white Russian is vodka, Kahlua, and cream or milk. Like it's like, it basically tastes like an adult Frosty. I'm laughing so hard right now. (laughs) I fucked up. I fucked up. (laughs) Dante, what's your opinion on white Russians? I mean, they're like milkshakes, like yes. you just said. And <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a no for Dot. That's gonna be a I no mean, for Dot. Make a boozy milkshake instead. Like, put some rum in a vanilla milkshake. You can walk around and say, "I got a beverage here." Yeah, exactly. Dude, look, I'm basically the dude. I'm basically Lebowski. Like, you know, walk around drinking my white Russians. That is what it is. But uh, <laughs> white Russians are on my list. Dante, who was on your list? On my list. On your list. Dante, I got one for you. I'm going to give it to you. Um, so have you guys been following the Jelaine Maxwell trial? Yes. Of course. Just, so you have been following it because okay. it's like impossible to find, like go to any news station. They won't cover it right now because it's outing all of their fucking bosses and coworkers and all that shit. It's um, not to get like too deep into that fucked up world. Let's but do there's it. this Twitter account and this, uh, they, they started a newsletter just covering the entire the entire trial. It's called the Free Press. So, like, I've been getting all oh, my I saw that. through that. Um, it's excellent. And but, what is it on Twitter, Dave? I'm looking it up. Uh, right I got to look up the Twitter account. But it's it, the newsletter is called the Free Press, and it's just it, the Twitter account. Uh, so, is the Free Press on your list? Yeah, they're on my list. Oh, okay, that's who's on your list. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, 
this shit should be national world news. Like this should not be, but it's not, it's not at all. And that, and that entire, whoever was fucking associated with that should fucking fry. Yes. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Fry them. Like, what are we doing? I don't think anybody could argue with that unless you have something to hide. Exactly that. But you're not seeing it anywhere because I am Dante. You'll get really deep into it once you start. And I know this is right up your alley and fuck all politicians on both sides. So I think you'll love it. It's like, it's just un- unbiased as can be. Um, send, me the, you, send me the Twitter handle. I'll, I'll send it to you right after this. Bro, we're going to be in Chicago this weekend and Dante's going to be having bags under his eyes. Like just like had been staring at the screen for 36 straight <laughs> hours doing research and uncovering things. But okay, Dante's on list is... The free press, Dave. Oh, that's Dave's. That's Dave's. That's uh, Dave. <laughs> yeah, don't let him put words in your mouth. No. My uh, my on the list are charitable people. We had a turkey drive, actually a Thanksgiving meal drive last week. Nice. And so many people contributed, donated. It was fucking amazing. Um, we fed 50 families here in Chicago. Beautiful. Got to meet a few of them. Uh, worked with Big Brothers and Sisters, an organization that I'm really involved with, and they're doing great work. And um, they linked us up with some families that needed a, you know, a favor and could use a hand uh, over the holiday. And I just want to say thank you to everybody that donated and everyone that helped spread the word about it. That's beautiful, dude. Great work. Dante's oh, great with that stuff. I uh, I saw your posts on uh, Thanksgiving, and next time, can you give a heads up? You have- <laughs> yeah, no, no, you re- you retweeted it. I re- but it was on Thanksgiving. Nah, so- I think it, I think you did it the day before. But even even so, like we still got people were still donating like up to the last hour. It was it was great. I got a couple turkey or families worth of turkeys next year. There you go. We're doing, to- we're doing toys for Christmas, so you can help out with that. Perfect. I'm in. Beautiful, man. That's a fucking amazing. Great pick, Dante. Uh, Katie, who was on your list? Man, I went, I went kind of silly with it, guys. <laughs> You're supposed to. You're supposed I know. To. Well, I, you know, I listen to these a lot. Well, because Colin's my boy, and like anytime I'm gonna come on, I listen just to prep. And like, uh, Dave, you always pick, you usually pick concepts. And I had a hard time with this. I just was like, I'm picking people. Like I had a hard time like thinking of a concept and I tried really hard to like think of something else, but I was like, nah, I'm going to stick with my answer. Cause this was a debate that has been coming up a lot for me lately. My husband's going to be pretty upset about this, but my on the list is Pete Davidson. I get it. I get it. I get why I get it. Oh, I get it. I would. Listen, if I wasn't a married woman, I would, I'd, Get out of my face. Okay. Explain. To it. Explain, explain. Explain. Uh, he is. Uh, no, he's goofball. He's funny. He's he's like, he's hysterical. I I, listen, I, you guys are all as bad as like every man in my life. When I bring this up, I brought it up in a group of girls. My like, Pete Davidson, who would, who would <laughs> like, and it was like, it was pretty 50, 50, like girls, like a funny guy. He's, he's just like, I don't know. He's like, not afraid to be himself. Girls like a project. <laughs> He's open like a project. You're right, you're right. I am a known to take in stray dog people. That's what I'm talking about. Like, I think so maybe like- this is a little bit of my like, you know, my trauma, <laughs> yeah. my trauma coming out. 
but Gibson uh, can get it. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is the kind of shit we don't get when that's Kenny. <laughs> yeah, Kenny. Kenny's not. Kenny doesn't. Kenny's not doesn't see it. Not like I like Kim Kardashian. Listen, I hate them. They're all filth. They should all like perish <laughs> off the face of the earth. But like, what? There's. Listen, I get it. If I, I get it. Kanye's gonna implode. Yay is gonna. Is I'm. I'm worried about Kanye right now. Bro, uh, I, I, but listen, Pete Davidson, do, you, do your thing, man. That I'm, is we're all rooting for you, Pete. You're not taking into account the Kardashian curse, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm worried they're gonna ruin him. I am because he's a he's his mental health is fragile to begin with. He's pretty open about that, you know what I mean? Kanye's off the reservation, yeah. Poor Lamar, guy. Lamar Odom, yeah. yeah. Oh, my yeah. gosh, that's sad. Poor guy, uh, the other Chris MVP, Humphreys. Chris Humphreys. <laughs> Like he, he, his NBA career toast after that. Yeah. Not that he was any good anyway. He was putting up like eight points a game. Hey. He was like a twelve and eight guy. Look, I'm just better than Ben Simmons. Goddamn right. What about the one that was there before they were famous? Scott Disick. He's a fucking. He's mess. a nut, dude. Now Travis Barker. It's a disaster. Travis but Scott. I, oh. Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is also another one. He dated Kendall Jenner. Oh really? That's oh, right. That's shit. right. Remember when she came to the game and everyone freaked out? Yeah, they all. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> wow, you want to talk about tinfoil hat moment, dude? We need to just do a deep. Well, yeah. If you want to talk about tinfoil hat moment, I got sucked into a like, did Travis Scott do a demonic blood ritual yeah, at the world and Twitter? And before they deleted all those things, not that I agree with it, but man, if you wanted to go into Twitter K hole, that's where you go. Tinfoil hat, baby. That's what I'm talking about. That's <laughs> a great. Yeah. That's well, a great all this is to say, Pete Davidson, come see you, Katie Feeney. Come, come see a show. <laughs> uh, uh, wink, wink. Dave, was the free press you're on the list? Yeah. All right, cool. Then my off the list is Dr. Oz. You guys know who that fuckface is? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, he's running for uh, Senate in Pennsylvania. Nah. And if we've learned anything, I don't need celebrities running for fucking office. Even Matthew McConaughey dropped out of the, the yeah, gubernatorial race. And I love, I love McConaughey. I love McConaughey to death. This is also to be said. I don't think that any politician should. I think they're all pieces of shit. I don't know what the answer is, but I don't think that Dr. Oz should be making decisions for my state because I don't even think Dr. Oz is a real doctor. I'm pretty sure he's just the, the TV personality. Yeah, so, that's all he is. The fuck him. Cultist. Like, Cultist. Get out of my face. Leave Philadelphia alone. Dante, who's off your list? <laughs> Dude, Dr. Oz just got fucking. He's going to come for you. He's a Pennsylvanian, man. He's he lives in like Bucks County or something. Fuck him. <laughs> like, stay away. What, you're not doing it for any good reason. You don't want to help people. You just want to be a politician for some reason. Raise your celebrity, gain power. You already run a shitty show on daytime TV. Go do that. Like, leave my state alone. Like, I don't need All right. not not to get political here, but off my list are fucking masks. I can't do this shit anymore. Dude. <laughs> I'm breaking. I'm seriously breaking. I I travel a lot and I just I can't stand stupidity and illogical. Yes. I guess that's the word. And it just nothing makes sense. And it's just like, we have the dumbest fucking people deciding what we have to do right now. And I get off a plane in Michigan. Nobody has masks on fucking anywhere. The whole state go to restaurants, stores. You don't see fucking masks anywhere. You get drive through Indiana, same shit. 
You get into Illinois, same shit, no masks anywhere. You cross into Chicago, you don't have a fucking mask on, they will try to arrest you. Oh, it's not that hard. Let it go, Dante. <laughs> Just fucking wear it so people don't die. I uh, <laughs> uh, yesterday morning at like 5.30 in the morning, 6 o'clock, to let the dog out. I'm walking, and I had a mask on. And Well, you don't need to wear it outside. Sorry. No, I know you don't. I, I wear it to keep my face warm. For warmth? No, I hear you. <laughs> it does keep your face warm. But That's it was the first That's time that it was cold enough where you could see her breath, and I could see it coming out of the sides of my mask. I'm like, there's no fucking way this is stopping COVID. I'm sorry, there's just no way I can see my breath coming out of the mask. Dude, I, because I, I'm like, if I'm doing different things in different places, like I, you, you put it on, I've just gotten so used to it that I just don't give a fuck. Like, I'm just like, whatever. It Dude, is what it you're, is. you're in the like the real crazy land. I was I know. in Philly, I yeah. was in Philly for Thanksgiving. Like, you couldn't get into a restaurant if you didn't have your vax card. Oh, yeah, no, that's, that's a you real thing. And look, like, I'm already taken care of. I got my shots. I went and did my thing, but like, it's funny because like, I live on that edge i'm in maniunk so i'm like right near the suburbs too and if i go to one gym you have to wear a mask but if i go three steps outside the city there's another gym another la fitness and nobody in there i'm like where's the does does covid stop caring over here like what's the deal like i don't get it but that's exactly it and like not to get political but (laughs) can't preface it like that different rules like it like unless everybody's doing it then nobody's doing it you know yeah, I mean, I look, I get, I get the frustration because nobody knows what the fuck is going on. Like, I, it's just so crazy, like that. There's different rules for different spots, but I don't know. I'm kind of on Katie's side to where, like, I'll just, I don't care. I just fucking, I'm a sheep. I don't care. I just whatever. Just, Dude, I got, I got yelled at on our flight because it was here. It was oh, that would have been, nose. that would have been me, Dante. Why, <laughs> why right, put it below? Like, if you're gonna, no, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I have a. <laughs> Look at how big my nose is. Look how big my nose is. Oh, you got a cute nose, Don. My nose is huge. So it fell down <laughs> in the stewardess or the flight attendant was like, sir, you need to pull your mask up over like your nose. It's exposed. I was like, okay. Then two seconds later, they're handing out fucking pretzels. I Everyone has their mask off eating pretzels. That part is weird on a plane. What I agree. Fuck? First of all, like, what, dude, what are we doing? What yeah, I agree. What are we doing? That, with, the, said, with the, yeah. I said this was funny from the beginning because, like, in the middle of the pandemic, I had to fly to Nashville. And, like, I remember this was, like, still when everybody was, like, super skittish still. Like, I was even in the airport, like, oh, I don't know what the fuck is going on. But then we got on the plane. I thought the plane was going to be, like, there was going to be, like, 10 people on the plane. We were all going to be, like, separated. <laughs> oh, Dog, there was, like, 500 insane. people on the plane. Mm-hmm. And they, I remember turning to the lady next to me and being, like, this is weird, right? And she was, like, yeah, what the fuck? I thought this was a socially distance. As we were getting off the plane, they were, like, please adhere to social distancing mandates. And we were, like, <laughs> everybody on the plane was, like, come on. <laughs> we just been in a tube in the sky for, like, like six hours. Like, I don't know. But I, I, I'll leave it there. I get what you're saying. I'm kind of on Katie's side where it's like, I don't give a fuck anymore. Like, what is what it is. But I understand questioning saying, like, why is it different in different places? I do get that. And it's been a long time. So Yo. when I fly out to New York in a couple of weeks, I'm just going to get those pretzels and just fucking small bite by small bite. Nope, I'm eating my pretzels. <laughs> COVID. Don't have COVID right now. It's <laughs> gonna be fucking breaking the rules of playing with pretzels. It's not breaking uh, the rules. You're allowed to eat if you, or you're allowed to be maskless if you're eating. What if they what if they just made you do like a horse trough where they just poured it into your mask and you had to eat it like like as it's like in your mask? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I drop it there. I'm Katie, mask, honestly, Katie, Katie, I'm a good segue because it's staying on topic and my off the list. Uh, well, actually, 
I'm going to change it. My off the list right now is a uh, barstool for not charting me above Ashley Simpson on your list of 10 <laughs> best female singers of all time. You motherfuckers. I'm so much better than Ashley Simpson. I'll send you my records and I'll prove it to you. Okay. No real, my real, um, my real off the list. I was going to say it's the Greek alphabet. Just wear your fucking mask. I don't want to learn this whole Greek alphabet. I don't want to learn what comes after Omicron. I didn't pledge Greek. You know, I, I'm not in a sorority. I don't want to learn the alphabet. I don't want to know what one wrong. You know, <laughs> Omicron. I don't it know. Like Omarion. It was like the rapper. It does sound like Omarion. <laughs> Omarion. The alphabet. I don't want to know the alphabet, dude. It, Wear your mask on the plane so I don't have to learn the rest of this <laughs> goddamn alphabet. That's the point. Thank you. Oh my god, Katie, I fucking love you so I much. Think, I think this is a serious thing. What the? Oh, the what the? No, Omicron I know. Going? I think we're all joshing, but like, I just yeah. I'm ready for it to be over too. I'm ready for it to be over too. I mean, I was very careful. Early in the year, but like I went to the I went to the uh, Fillmore and I saw Thundercat. You know what I mean? There was like thousands of people there. You have to check your card to get in, but like you can still get COVID if you're vaccinated. So I agree with you that like different rules is a little head spinning. Here's one for you. So right now, you have to to get into United Center, which is where Bulls, Blackhawks play all the big concerts and everything. You have to show your Vax card to get in. Right. Cool. Or if you're not vaccinated, you have to show a proof of negative test. Right. So the proof of negative test, the guys that aren't vaccinated in the United Center right now are safer than the people who are vaccinated. So it goes back to Dante's question to me. What the well, fuck are we talking about and what the fuck are we doing? How are they safer? Because they have a negative test on. You have to take a negative instant test. That's true. Whatever. But they could get it in there. You know what How I mean? Like Everybody's negative. Or it's the positive people that are already vaccinated. If you're vaccinated, you can just walk in. I think the one thing that we've learned from this whole conversation is none of us know what the fuck is going on. Right. We're not fucking scientists. (laughs) I don't know anything. I'm a fucking moron. I'm sitting here talking to you guys. I don't know anything, but I guarantee you it is. It's just like, dude, it's been so long now that it's like. move the goalposts constantly, and that's what's pissing people off. And I got vaccinated immediately. I got vaccinated before most people because I'm technically media and like we were that was like group one ever. so i was vaccinated pretty quick and like at this point it's like what the fuck's the point of the booster dude i got the i got all three vaccines multiple times and you don't see me complaining like i got the johnson and johnson i got them all no i'm kidding i'm fucking with you i got all three <laughs> look dude i'm actually Layer I'm, on. I'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure if you get all three to start levitating like i just get superpowers yeah. like magneto uh dave round us out who's off your list off my list is the fucking dickhead who hit my car and took off yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's a person, not a concept. There, there you go. go. Um, I mean, you don't know who it is, so he is technically just a concept right now. Like, if I could find <laughs> this guy, I would do all sorts of medi- medieval torture methods on Where him. was it, Dave? I don't even really know the thing. I, I've been parked outside uh, on Clark Street a couple times, like, it had to have been pretty close and it had to have been within the last like 48 hours. And I just didn't notice it until this morning. Cause it wasn't, oh. it was not overnight. Cause I park in a parking lot. I have my like garage thing. So Sucks. it could have been overnight. It, and it's, I haven't gotten appraised or anything suck, yet. Man. I wouldn't be surprised if it fucking totals my car. Ooh, dude, just drive it's it into fun. a wall and then get it totaled. Yeah, like if that's the thing, you should just like beat it with a bat and like let insurance it on fire for fraud fun. this shit, dude. Let's go. <laughs> I, I, 
in the case of the state of Illinois versus Mr. Dave Williams uh, for insurance <laughs> fraud, we'd like to cite episode number 57 of the <laughs> I object. podcast. <laughs> oh, my God. Dave, fuck that guy. I hope we find him when I'm in Chicago. We beat him. I hope he dies. I hope he, he took off. <laughs> he was like looking at his rear view mirror and wrapped his car around the telephone. Oh, I love you so much. I want you to know that. I, okay. I'm not. I, I love you. Yeah, yeah, it could be anybody, dude. Yeah. That's shitty. That sucks. Probably a woman. Oh, that's <laughs> true. That's true. You guys are being very sexist by assuming that it was a man that hit yeah. uh, Cowboy's car. Could have been a could have been a child. You never mm-hmm. know, dude. Could have yeah. been anybody. Yeah. Turns out it turns out it's the thirteen year old girl hit Dave's car with another car. Who knew? I would have never guessed. Uh, <laughs> that's on the list. Off the list. <laughs> Uh, let's wrap this week up with uh, what the fuck we've been listening to. I'll start it out. Uh, it's been what year did this album drop? Uh, it has been 15 years since Clips, one of the most underrated wow. groups in history. Agreed. Pusha T and his brother No Malice dropped Hell Hath No Fury, uh, which was exclusively <laughs> produced by the Neptunes, Pharrell, Chad Hugo. Mr. Me Too is my pick. This shit, I tweeted this because Andrew Barber from Big Shore Drive, who we will be interviewing in person this week in Chicago, uh, tweeted out that this had been 15 years. This shit sounds like it was made in 3021. This sounds like future rap. It's it's unbelievable. Pharrell with bars. The, the, the instrumental is insane. Pusha T is one of the greatest lyricists of all time. Delivery, all this shit. Perfect match. Hell Hath No Fury by Clips. All-time classic. Dante, what the fuck have you been listening to? All right. This is... I'm not trying to say they're new, but they're not on everyone's radar. Everyone here has probably heard of them, but uh, I thought they were a one-hit wonder, but they have a new single that has been on the... um, Airwaves? Yeah, Airwaves. Great call, Dave. Thanks for the save. (laughs) The last uh, month or so, and it's fucking another smash hit. They're the Cannons. Oh, Cannons. Yeah, yeah. Kenny, Kenny's good friends with them. No way. Yeah. Dude, this girl's voice is so fucking great. They have a... So it's four-person group, three guys and this girl, lead singer, and their sound is very, like, electronic, but it's not EDM. Um I don't know how to, kind of like XX, I would say. Yes, it's a good good example. But her voice is fucking incredible. I think they're going to turn pop probably in like a year and they're going to be ruined, which sucks. But right now, they're awesome. Fire For You is such a good song. Their new song, Bad Dream, or their newer song, Bad Dreams, another fucking smash. They're a great group. I love them. Uh, okay, Katie, who, or, <laughs> okay, okay, Katie, what the fuck have you been listening to? <laughs> okay. I have a lot of things that I've been listening to, but the one that I really want to highlight, I've been listening to a lot of country music. I have a, um, I have two projects. One is my band, you do you, which is like funk soul music. And then the other one is I just started, uh, like I, I went solo as a, as a, like a country Americana act. And there's an artist right now that is fusing those two genres to perfection. And it's Yola. Um, I've heard the name. I haven't listened. Oh yet. my God. I got ticket that. So this is one of the, you know, talking about like concerts and being ready to go back inside for big concerts. You know, I saw Thundercat 
Um, and then like, I was like, okay, like what other like big shows am I really willing to like spend money on? And it was Yola. Yola's coming to Brooklyn Bowl. Oh, and Philly, yeah. Philly just got a Brooklyn Bowl. And uh, like his stuff is so good. I want to cover every single song. Uh, the record is called uh, Stand For Myself. It's a Dan Auerbach produced uh, or Auerbach, however Let's you say go. it. But when, I, when I found that out, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think she's British. Uh, she's a black woman. And she's doing like country soul music. Sign and me it's, the fuck oh, up. Yeah, sign me like, up. It slaps Yola, like Yolo, but with an A, Y O L A. Uh, and the album is her second album. So, like, she's just getting started. Yeah. And, like, it was nominated for the whatever the Country Americana Grammy uh, category. I think her, one of the singles was nominated too. But I am so excited to go to that show in February. Um, I asked to open it, but she has like a, everyone these days is doing like a, you know, an evening with, they have their own like person that they're bringing on. They don't need local support, but like, uh, if that was like, we were, I'm meant to open for Yola. I'm manifesting it right now. Um, I'll give a, I'll give a, uh, a runner's up mention to Tammy Nielsen, who is an Australian or sorry, New Canadian, New Zealand singer. Um, and I've also been playing the shit out of her uh, record from last year, which is called Chickaboom. And I'd say she does like a similar kind of thing, but from like the blue eyed soul perspective, you know, which is oh, like, yeah. like mixing country and soul together. Uh, and that's really where I'm, I'm pretty hype on anyone who's doing that right now. So I'll throw those two, Hold those me. two women out there. If you haven't heard of them, please check out those records are fucking yeah, awesome. Katie. Yeah. Text it to the group <laughs> after text it to Colin. Cause you said Yola and who? Uh, Yola and Tammy Nielsen. Tammy she's, Nielsen. she's Canadian, but she lives in New Zealand now. So, and oh, she's yeah. doing like uh, her, so I cover a Tammy Nielsen song as part of our, uh, as part of both sets right now, which is cool. <laughs> uh, and it's called uh, You Were Mine. And it's, oh my God, just, just play that. Play Tammy Nielsen, You Were Mine, Cowboy. I'll, I'll send you a message to remind you too, but that's Perfect. my jam right now. I've been playing that like just, you know, you ever, you get into a song and you start it and you're like, play it again. <laughs> Play it again. Oh, I finished the song. Uh, oh, play it again. I might hit this show with you. I'm uh Yeah, please. I would love that, Dante. I'm, that'd be really cool to meet you in person. I'm going there in two weeks for the LCD show. And oh, cool. Uh, whoa, 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 hold on. LCD's coming to Philly? No, no, no. Oh, they're... he's talking Brooklyn, Brooklyn Bowl. Oh, you're talking. So Philly, yeah, Brooklyn Philly just Ball. got it, but I think she's going to your Brooklyn or to the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Bowl too. Oh um, wait. But we should go to that call and let's all go. Let's go. Dante, <laughs> your LCD's playing in Brooklyn? Yeah. yeah they're, doing, they're doing 10 shows throughout the Brooklyn December. Board. Yeah. I think I'm going the 18th. It's wild. Whatever day it is, you tell me and I'm buying tickets because I'm going. I think we're yeah, going. Yeah, me too. Let's go. Let's go. I call and I'm in. I'm out there anyways. <laughs> I got to look. Um, I might be in Tom's River. So, my dude, dude L- Tom's L- River, New Jersey? Yeah. That's yeah. Oh, shit. I used to live in Seabright. I, I I know C right well. Yeah. <laughs> LCD is the number one band that I want to see. I need to see all my friends before I die. I know. Bro. I thought I missed out on the chance, and now they're they're back again. Uh, is this cool. is a legit shocked face. I didn't know that existed. I will be there. I do not give it. Oh, fun. dude, the tickets fucking sold out so fast. But well, we can find uh, them. We'll find. Them. Yeah, will- they're not. I mean, they're they're on StubHub and shit. They're just yeah, bullshit. Yeah. I will dress up as James Murphy and sneak in. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> uh, I don't look haggard enough, but I will try. I will. I won't eat for a week, and I'll you just, just grow your hair out. Yeah. <laughs> all right let's end this up uh dave what the fuck have you been listening to uh so i'm looking i always just look at my recent search history and most recently adele's album 30 i fucking love it me too um we i i gave it i think two listens um the last time we spoke about it and 
every time I listen to it, I think it gets better and better. It doesn't have, like we said, that, that one song that you can just finish it, start it again, necessarily, not yet at least. But um, I love it. I fucking love it. Uh, other than that, I got uh, Joe Rogan with Ted Nugent on the guest list. Mano, the Dave Portnoy show. J.J. Gray and Mo, Mofro, Delbert McClinton, who I love. Uh, Turnpike Troubadours, they turned this down, so fuck them. <laughs> uh, Electric Palace, who I actually think is fucking awesome. Fuck and, them. Oh, wow. I haven't heard that in a long time. Fuck Electric them. Palace. Yeah. Do you know them? Well, I mean, I've heard of them, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, the guy's old. I had never heard of him. I just stumbled upon him, and I'm looking at their downloads. It's like 2,000, 8,000, 26,000 is their biggest song. I think they're fucking great. And yeah, I used to be like waiting on the Zoom for them, and I'm emailing the guys like, oh, shit, like, we had time zones confused. Something like that. Can you do it next week? And we're like, yeah. And it was like just a bunch of flakiness. So for a band like that, I feel like this would be great exposure for them, but – I don't know. Guess they didn't want free press. Guess not. Uh, we'll we'll make it happen with them. It could have been an honest mistake, but if they do it twice, oh, yeah, no, I'm just I'm, they they get one mulligan. We'll one mulligan. That's it. <laughs> but uh, all right, that's gonna wrap us up this week. Big thank you to Katie Feeney for being here. Katie, you're always welcome. Oh, thank you guys. I appreciate and, it. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, you were great. Anytime <laughs> that Kenny, let's hang out. We're gonna go to the LCD stuff. We're gonna sneak in. <laughs> Listen, anytime that Kenny's too high to function or he has SpongeBob things to do, you can come and you can. See yeah, me. anytime Kenny's murdering ducks with bullets, you guys call me. Yeah, though, no, remember Kenny said he he was like, "Hey, Dave, you ever want to learn? You come hang out with Uncle Kenny for a week." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but other than that, Dante, Dave, I'll be seeing you guys in two days. A uh, couple interviews we have. Well, first off, big shout out to Wishfest. Cannot wait to be there. Get to play Chicago. Yeah, break a leg, Dave. Break a leg. You're going to be great. Get that F chord, baby. You got this. Uh, other than that, uh, we have, like I said, we have uh, Andrew Barber from Big Shore Drive coming on. We are going to be talking with our friend Mark Robert from OAR once again. Hopefully, we get Russell Dickerson, the headliner of the night that we're playing. But we have interviews galore coming up. We have a lot of content, a lot of shit coming on. But most importantly, we have Wishfest on Friday. Chicago, shout the fuck out. Be there or just fucking be there. I don't have anything else to say. Just be there. If you can't be there, you can still donate. Exactly. If you can't be there, put your money where your mouth is. Goddamn, it's for a good cause. But uh, other than that, Dave, Dante, Katie, anything else today? I got nothing. All right, that about wraps it up. Guys. Uh, Good talking to you. Oh, and big shouts out to Garrett Dutton. G-Love, thank you so much for coming on. More more with Garrett coming up, hopefully. But uh, just a great week. We'll see everybody in Chicago on Friday. Katie, take it easy. Yeah, love you guys. Have a great show. Have a great event. Hope you'll uh, raise a shit ton of money. Love you, Katie. Love you guys. Have a good week, all right? We can do it. See you guys.